All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 13. Uh, and as John said, what we're going to see as you're turning there, uh, what we're going to see today is the church actually sending out. Um, we, we've seen people sent, but it's been through persecution um, or some other ways. But today we see the church uh, sending out by, by the leading of the Spirit. So I'm going to start in verse 1. Now there were in, in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend, a friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at uh, Salmis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island of Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and, and his name Bar-Jesus, uh, Bar means son of, so son of Jesus, but Jesus was a common name, right? So this, this isn't Jesus Christ, this is, uh, it's just the son of some guy named, named Jesus. So verse seven, he was with the uh, proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. But the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So Luke starts the, uh, the passage here in chapter 13 with a list of leaders at the church in Antioch. These are prophets. Uh, these are teachers. Uh, this list is a diverse list. We've heard of Barnabas, who heads up the list, probably the, the, uh, the, the senior minister there. But we've, we've heard of him several times now. He's a Greek-speaking Jew from Cyprus. Uh, we know his name means son of encouragement. Um, by, this, by this time, he's probably a decade and a half into uh, his ministry. Then uh, there's uh, Simeon called Niger, which means uh, dark complexion or black. So uh, probably from North Africa where the Roman Empire was. Uh, and there are some that, that speculate, that wonder, is this the Simon of, of Cyrene that carried the cross of Jesus? There's no way to know if that is the case. I tell you that just in, in case you run across that somewhere, though. Uh, there's also a man named uh, Manian, uh, and he'd been brought up with Herod, um, he evidently belonged to a noble Jewish family with connection uh, to Herod's court. So probably someone that was very well off and came to know Jesus and now is in, in leadership at this church in Antioch. And then Saul, we know Saul's background, right? We've spoken about his 
conversion uh, a couple times. He'd been ministering in Damascus and a couple other cities before uh, Barnabas called him to help at Antioch. Um, he too has been preaching Christ crucified for, for more than a decade at this point. So this list here of these men, it's not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the leaders of the church in Antioch. And we're told that they're worshiping the Lord together, right? No doubt praying, no doubt spending time in the word. I'm sure that they were singing. It says uh, that they were fasting. And I know at some point we need to talk about fasting because it, obviously it comes up in scripture. We, we see that fasting is a part of the early church. I think back to uh, when we were in uh, our Sermon on the Mount series, and, and Jesus talks about fasting, he says, when you fast, right? Making the assumption that, that believers fast. Um, and yet my guess is, in a church like ours, maybe a handful of people, uh, maybe with some regularity, fast. But for many of us, I'm guessing that, that we don't fast. So sometime we, we will talk about biblical fasting, not like intermittent fasting for weight loss. Uh, at some point we'll, we'll get to that. Not today, though. Uh, we'll never get to the intermittent Weight, weight loss thing, uh, unless it works for me, and then we will. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> so back to our passage. Uh, so they're worshiping the Lord. They hear from the Holy Spirit, and we don't know we don't know how they heard. I mean, we're told that there are prophets in this church, so my guess is that this came through one of, uh, one of the prophets, but what we do know is it was clear what the Spirit said. The Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work that, that the Spirit had called them to. And, and we're not surprised when we see the church's response. We're 13 chapters in. We know how the early church responds. They respond by praying, right? And this is a mark. It's not the only mark of a healthy church, but this is a mark of a healthy church that, that, that there's this reflex that in all circumstances we pray. So the early church was committed to that. And we, we've seen that in, in all kinds of different situations that they have found themselves in. And this is something that we need to grow in as a church. We want to be a church that prays on all occasions, just like we see the early church did. So they prayed, they fasted, and, and, and then they sent. Uh, this last Sunday evening, we had uh, a prayer time. There were a handful of us here, I joked, and said it was the righteous remnant uh, there to pray. Uh, but there's a small group of us here, and, and we, uh, we got to hear some updates from our missionaries. We prayed for them. Uh, we prayed for our community. We prayed for uh, local parachurch ministries that we are involved with. We certainly prayed for our church body. We, we prayed for you. We prayed for your families. We prayed for the ministries of Harvest. It was, uh, it was a good time, and, and we'll, we'll let you know when, when we're going to do that again. That will be soon. But the Antioch Church, they prayed after hearing this from the Holy Spirit. And, and obviously, we're, we're not a part of that church. Like we're emotionally detached from what it was like for that church. But on paper, as we read in Acts 13, we can, we can pretty easily see, yeah, that, that's a good move to send Barnabas. That's a good move to send Saul. Like that's, that is a strategic missions move. But imagine being a part of that body, right? For the people that personally knew Barnabas and Saul. Who knows? Maybe Barnabas had like a small group uh, that he met with, right? Maybe they met together every week to pray, or, or maybe, maybe they were memorizing scripture together, or, or maybe there was a, a group of, of young people that, that he was particularly invested in, pouring himself into, right? For that group, 
it, it would mean that that's over, right? That's done with Barnabas. Or, or maybe Paul had been teaching, right? Maybe he, was, maybe he was teaching through the Psalms and pointing to Christ through all of the Psalms. Uh, if, 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 he, if he was doing that or if he was teaching future classes, that, that was, or would have taught future classes, that was done, that was gone. Paul was going elsewhere. If you were part of this Antioch church, maybe Saul or Barnabas, maybe they were the guy that you came to when you needed godly direction, when you needed wisdom, when, when it just seemed like things were falling apart and you, you needed someone that you knew loved the Lord and, and would pray for you, would pray with you. Well, now that's gone. And we don't read about the sacrifice here for the church in Antioch, but there, there was a great sacrifice, right? They're sending some of their best people. This church, for the sake of obedience to the Holy Spirit, for the sake of, of the gospel, for the sake of new people hearing about Christ, for the sake of new churches being planted, they were willing to give up what they had. And that's because the church sends. It's in our DNA. And, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but we think, we think about our God. We think about the, the Trinity. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. Of course, the church is, is going to send. So I wonder, would we respond that way? Do we hold our church family with an open hand before the Lord? Right? Do we say, Lord, do what you want with me? Lord, do what you want with, with my church. Lord, do what you want with, with my friends, the people in this place that I'm the closest with, the people that, that I text or call when, when, when things are not going well, the people I ask to pray for me. Do what you want with us. I do dream of a day, a Sunday service, when we're praying over a group of people from Harvest that we are sending out. Right? And these will be people that we love. These will be some of our best people. These are, these are going to be people that when they leave, there, there's going to be this, this, this void, this wake when they leave because they love so well, right? because they serve so well in our body, because they sacrifice for this body. This is what the church does. It sends their best. Right? You, you don't send like some people that are like, oh, maybe they'll do all right on the mission field, or you know, we could get by without them. No, you send, you send your best. We send people that, that we know will share, that we know will, will teach the word. We send people that are, are field tested. Some of our uh, global partners, David and Jera, uh, they share the gospel uh, more than anyone I've ever met. Uh, they are always taking opportunities to share the gospel. And their sending church had full confidence that they would share the gospel overseas because they did it in the states where they lived. It, it, was, it was their regular thing that they just talked about Jesus. And if they found out someone didn't know about Jesus, they started praying that they would get a chance to tell them about Jesus. They were telling me once about their training program with their uh, missions organization before they headed overseas. Um, they had uh, multiple families that, that were getting ready to go overseas. They had them move into this apartment complex in their city. And I can't remember if it was six months, nine months, but for many, many months, they, they, they shifted everything. They lived in this apartment with the, uh, the sole purpose of reaching this apartment complex for Christ. So they're, you know, they're all living in different apartments scattered across, and they, they were making strategic plans to share the gospel with this apartment complex. And certainly part of that was training. 
right, to, to prepare them to go overseas. But part of it was to see, will they share Christ? Right? Not just when they get on a plane and, and, and go elsewhere, but will they share Christ here and now? Because if they won't do it here, they certainly won't do it overseas, right? Jumping on a plane doesn't like magically make you a missionary just because you're willing to go. So when churches send missionaries, they're sending people that are field tested. And that means that there will be a loss to that church. You will, you'll send people that you love. There's a pastor named uh, J.D. Greer. He wrote a book uh, called Gaining by Losing. And the whole book really is about being a church that, that is, is sending, that's raising people up to send them out. And he, he writes about churches so often being landing pads uh, rather than launching pads. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's so right. Like, we, we, we do, we, we want to make a church that's, that's, that's nice, that's welcoming, that's a, that's a good, comfortable place to be. But man, it, it's not just meant to be that, so we stay here. We're meant to go. We're meant to send. And obviously, not everyone will go. Some will, will be the senders. But we see that in the, the church of Antioch. They sent. And what Luke makes clear is that, yeah, the, the church sent, but it was by the Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit was the one sending. And this wasn't like a, a brilliant strategic move of this church in Antioch. No, the brilliance was the Holy Spirit's. So if you pray for our church, pray along these lines that we would grow and we would become a sending church, that we would be a church that is quick to share of, of our resources that God has given us with other churches, with other ministries, certainly in other parts of the world, that we would, we would hold this church with open hands and, and pray, Lord, have your way in us. And I wonder, as I was preparing this message, I wonder if there are seeds planted in some in our body already. Right? If there are those that have already felt that tug on their heart for missions. Man, we need to pray we need to pray for what God is doing in hearts, and we need to pray that we will be a good sending church. We need to pray for, for parents and grandparents. Like, will you be willing right, to, to let your, your kids, your grandkids go? We can get excited about someone else's kid going somewhere in the world, maybe somewhere dangerous for the gospel, but, but will we do that? Will we willingly say to the Lord, yes, they, they are yours. God, use, use them. Use the, the spirit-empowered empowered gifts that you have given them. I wonder, are we ready for that? that? Every church is to be a sending church. I heard one pastor say that the church has three, three uh, options with missions. There's go, there's send, and there's disobey. I'm like, oh, yeah, that really is how it goes. So the first point from this passage is that the church sends its people as it's led by the Holy Spirit. And the second is, is simply an observation. Let's look at verse five. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So what did these missionaries do? They proclaimed God's word. Right? This is what sent ones do. They taught Jesus, and we see that through Acts. Now, I'm sure that there were acts of mercy that were done. I'm sure that there were social needs that were met, but we, we can't miss what they were there for. They were there to proclaim the truth of God's word because people need to hear about the triune God. People needed to hear that Yahweh sent his son to be the sacrifice for their sins. They needed to know 
that he was exalted by dying on a cross, that he rose uh, from the grave on the third day, and that they can be forgiven of their sins by faith in Jesus. People needed to know that. I, I get nervous when the leading pitch from a missions group is look at all the good stuff we have done. And good things need to be done for sure in the name of Jesus. But, but we, we haven't done the best thing. We haven't done the most necessary thing if we have not told them about Jesus. So our, our good works and the good news go hand in hand. They go in tandem together. People must know that Jesus loves them and that he's made a way for them to be reconciled to God. So Saul and Barnabas, what they did was they went to the synagogues, right? There's an opportunity there for them to teach uh, Christ from the scriptures, and, and they would do that. It says that John Mark was with them, assisting them, and Luke doesn't say this, but I assume that he, he's there assisting because people are coming to know Jesus. People are responding in faith, and John Mark is there with these brand new disciples. But our second point from this passage is that, that sent ones proclaim God's word where they go. And then our third point is that they protected the message. Verse 6, we're introduced to this magician. And when I think magic, I think like card tricks or pulling a rabbit out of a hat or some kind of, some kind of illusion or, or something, some sleight of hand. But, but this, is, uh, this magic is, is dark magic, right? This is like, uh, I think, witchcraft or the, the occult. Uh, this man... Uh, bar Jesus, again, son of Jesus. He has a relationship with the proconsul. Um, there's no doubt that he had influence there. And, and with that, he had some power. Uh, and we'll see that he was threatened by the gospel. Um, that that if, the, if the proconsul comes to know Christ, if he has faith in Christ, what need will he have for my magic? We're told the proconsul is a smart man. Um, and he'd heard about Barnabas and Saul. So he summons them because he wants to hear the word of God. God had clearly been working in his heart. God was, was drawing him to himself. And God had orchestrated at, at that church gathering in Antioch, like 270 some miles away, that he was going to send these two men, Saul and Barnabas. So they come to his region, they proclaim the word when the proconsul is ready to hear the word. And we need to remember that, that God will be working in people. God is working in hearts. And some of those people will be people you never would have guessed, right? You wouldn't be able to tell until it's so obvious that God is opening them up to the gospel. Saul and Barnabas didn't start this work, but now they were given the opportunities to speak about Jesus, and they were ready for it. They were ready to share. And while they were a big deal in the Antioch church, they were a big deal in some other churches, they were nobodies in the Roman world. Certainly not high profile enough to get a meeting with Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. This was the work of the Holy Spirit to bring this man to faith. He was making a straight path for him. So he, he took these two missionaries from, like I said, I think 270-some miles away. He brought them to the region where, where Sergius Paulus' heart and his mind were ready to hear the good news, right? Because God pursues lost people to save them. If there was a person at your school or maybe at work a uh, person in your neighborhood that heard that you're a Christian and wanted to ask you about Jesus, 
would you be ready to share? Would you be ready to talk about Christ? I don't mean, would you be ready to know every answer? No, I'm not saying that. But would you be ready for, for this person who wants to know more to talk about Jesus? Would you be ready to explain why we needed Jesus to come and die for our sins? Would you be ready to, to share about God's great love for his people? We have this uh, little booklet in, in the back at our uh, Welcome Center. I mean, it, it's tiny, tiny. It's called, What is the Gospel? Um, and I, I would encourage you, if you're like, I, I want to be able to share, but I, I actually don't even know how I, would, how I would frame it, go grab this little booklet. You could you could memorize the, the structure of this in, in a very short period of time. It asks four different questions. First is, who made us and to whom are we accountable? The second is, what is our problem? The third is, what is God's solution to our problem? And the fourth is, is how can I be included in his solution, right? Like you, you could memorize that. You, you, could, you could mark in your Bible or make notes on your phone that the different verses that, that connect with all of these questions. But are you ready? Like this afternoon, if, if someone asked you, could you tell me about Jesus, would you be ready? Well, Barnabas and Saul, they were ready. Verse 8, Elimus is ha- having none of it. If the proconsul believed in Jesus, you know, his position is gone. So he opposed them. He tried to turn him away from believing in Christ. Well, Saul was ready to counter that. Verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. So, so Saul, Luke now calls him Paul. And again, this isn't like his, his now that he's a Christian name. No, he's, he's, been, he's been a Christian for over a decade now. This more likely has to do with this shift in, in ministry to the Gentiles. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul is his, his Roman name, his, his Greek name. So more could be said, but that's, that's enough for now. But Paul looks at this magician and he says, you son of the devil. There's great irony here, right? His name is Bar-Jesus, meaning son of Jesus. It's not talking about Jesus Christ, but Paul takes that and he says, no, you're, you're no son of Jesus. You are a son of the devil. And, and Luke, Luke lets us know here that Paul isn't just like fired up and letting his mouth run, right? He, this, is, this is the Holy Spirit in him. Now, if, if someone like handed you just that little line there that he says to him and asked, is this in the Bible? We'd probably go, man, that doesn't sound like some, something somebody in the Bible should say. Like he, he has harsh, harsh words here, but these are true words. And what Paul is doing, Luke makes clear, is in step with the Spirit. Right? There, there are Christians that, that we have heard, and, and maybe it's been yourself, that spoken harsh words, and you go, I don't think that's the Spirit leading them in that. But Luke leaves no room for debate here. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, full of deceit, making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Right? This magician is trying, to, is trying to make crooked this, this straight path that God has made for the proconsul. And that's an interesting phrase, right? He's trying, to, he's trying to keep the proconsul from coming to faith in Christ. That's how he's, that's how he's making crooked this path. But, but know that God has made the straight path. 
right? He's made the straight path through Christ already. He continues to make paths for people to come to Jesus. He continues to seek and save the lost. We have to remember that God is on a mission to save. And like he did here for Sergius Paulus, he's working in hearts. He's revealing truth. He's sending messengers to share the gospel. So Paul wasn't going to let this magician make this path crooked. He would stand up and protect the gospel message. Now, I hope this is obvious that, that we don't treat every non-believer this way, right? We don't speak these words. This is not a recipe for how to interact with non-Christians. And, and certainly, he didn't speak that way with the proconsul. Right? There, there's no doubt that he told Sergius Paulus about his sin, that, that he told him about God's wrath, that he told him that he needed Jesus to die for him, but he didn't rebuke him. Right? And there are times for both. There are times when rebuke is necessary safeguarding the gospel. And there are times when that would not at all be appropriate. But Paul was filled with the Spirit here. He was Spirit-dependent. He was led by the Spirit and was speaking with each of these men in the way that the Spirit led him. And it would be a problem if we were always harsh like this. And I think we all know that. But it would also be a problem if we were never willing to speak hard words in defense of the gospel. Verse 11, Paul continues, he says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately this mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So he was already spiritually blind, but now Paul speaks this judgment on him, and he's, he becomes physically blind. And we're told it's temporary which I think points us to uh, th there's a hope here that maybe this magician not only would be able to physically see uh, again, but that he would come to have spiritual sight, that perhaps this judgment on him would now be used by God to show this man his rebellion and his need for Christ. And, and you might think, like, man, that's those words were harsh, but this is even harsher to make him blind. But I would actually say it is very loving of God to get our attention in order to save us, right? In, in whatever means are necessary. And God certainly uses hard things. God uses painful things at times to get our attention. He even uses tragedies to get us to look at him. And you could look at that, you could hear that and think, that's terrible. I don't want a God like that. Let me tell you a story about couple of my friends, they were goofing around. They, they weren't even planning on swimming, but they ended up at this swimming hole. No life jackets or anything because um, they, they didn't think they needed them. Well, one of them, uh, Russ, jumped in the water and, and didn't pop up at first, but the guy on shore, the other friend, didn't really think anything of it. Um, but then it, it had been a while. And then he started to feel really uneasy. He started panicking. He's like, man, where is Russ? Where is Russ? And then he starts looking around, and he finds this, this big, long, like very sturdy branch. And he knew where Russ jumped in, and he just shoved that, that branch into the water. Well, Russ 
uh, underneath. Like, he can't get up. There's this current under there that he had, he had no idea was there. And, and, and uh, the guy on shore actually hit Russ with, with the stick. Like, he, he, could, he could feel. He said he could just tell somehow. Like, it wasn't a rock. Like, it moved. It felt heavy. Like, it must have been Russ's body. Um, but Russ didn't grab the stick. I mean, he, he can't think. He's panicked. He's freaking out, trying to get, get to the surface. So the guy on shore, he just starts ramming the stick into him. He's like, I gotta get his attention. He's just nailing him with the stick. And then finally something clicked in Russ. And Russ realized, oh my goodness, like that is my chance to be saved. And he grabs on that stick and his friend pulls him to shore. And I wonder if sometimes you feel like, man, all these things, it's like this, this stick just being rammed into him and just getting hit over the head with it. And it really hurts, but at some point, Hopefully you realize, no, that's God. God is getting your attention. God is offering you salvation. He wants to save you. And we, we don't know what happened here with Elamis. We don't know if he responded in faith. It'd be tragic if he wasted the opportunity to turn to faith in Jesus. But we know, we know Sergius Paulus did, verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The proconsul heard the word of God proclaimed by Paul and by Barnabas. Right? He, he saw the power of God in his judgment on Lamus, and he responded by believing in Jesus. Right? Praise God for using the very enemy of the gospel, the one that's trying to make, make uh, the straight path crooked. He uses that man to show the proconsul, the power of God. Now, I wanna circle back around um, to Paul's words about the magician. He said, you're making crooked the, the straight path. How is he doing that? Well, he was opposing the gospel. He's trying to keep him from faith. He, he's, he's, making, he's making crooked the straight path, and how does, what does God do? Well, he used his opposition, or this opposition, to bring the proconsul to faith. Right? He didn't back down. Paul didn't back down. He defended the message of the gospel and the work that God was doing in Sergius Paulus' heart. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, this judgment came upon this enemy of the gospel, and God used that in part to bring the proconsul to faith. And, and, and don't miss this detail here in 11, that he was astonished by the teaching. Like, yes, this, uh, this miracle of the magician losing his sight, that, that was helpful, but it, it was not the primary reason uh, that he came to faith. It's that he was astonished. He was astonished by the power of the gospel message, and he responded to it. We, we must remember that God will not be stopped. Right, we can be just so easily discouraged. Right, we, we look around our world, and, and there are, there are more enemies to the gospel than we can number. Right? There are all kinds of attempts to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. There are all kinds of, of oppositions to the gospel in, in our world, in our culture. Right? And the early church felt that. They felt it, I think, probably more acutely than, than we do. Right? They felt it when Stephen was martyred. They, they felt it when James was beheaded, when Peter was imprisoned, but, but God will not be stopped. Right? It doesn't matter if it's 
King Herod. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's this powerful man like Elimus or any enemy of the gospel. Any attempt to make crooked the straight paths of God will not succeed. Today, God continues to pursue people with the truth of the gospel, with his great love for them. He continues to send uh, the church to places and to people that need to hear the good news. Right? And maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and, and, and God's been pursuing you. Right? God's been, been coming after you. He's been working on your heart, and, and suddenly the, the gospel is starting to, to make sense to you. I ask, are you ready today to trust in him? Or for others, maybe, maybe you trust in Jesus years and years ago, and, and you love him. Man, is, is Christ getting ready to send you? And maybe someday that'll be across the globe, but, but maybe for now, this week, it's just going across the street to that neighbor that, that has been seeking God for some time. Will you go? Will you proclaim the good news? Even if someone tries to make, make that, that straight path crooked, will you speak about Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, it, um, it shocks me that your plan to tell the world about you, to tell the world that, that we can be forgiven of our sin, that we can be reconciled to you, that your plan to do that is to use your people, that you use us. God, we know that that's not gonna happen by our power. We know that's not gonna happen by our strategy. Lord, we wanna be faithful to you. Lord, we wanna be people that are ready to share about you wherever it is, whether we have time to prepare to share about you or not. God, would, would you... Would you give us the words, Lord? Would you give us the courage to speak about you? Jesus, I pray for, for people in our body, and, and, and maybe it's not people in this room, maybe it's some of our kids in, in the classrooms right now that, that someday you are gonna send across the globe. Lord, we, we thank you for, for the women, for the men that, that will be sent. And Lord, we wanna be a church that sends well. God, would you help us? Would you grow us? Would you grow our heart for the gospel, for the lost to hear about you, Jesus? Would you grow our hunger for you to be glorified more and more on this planet, Lord? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.